Hello and welcome to a special presentation of the In The Money podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, coming to you from Port Washington, Long Island, ahead of this huge weekend of racing. On this show, we're going to be looking a little bit at some of the excitement that's going to be going on under the Twin Spires at Churchill Downs this weekend. We'll have a whole other show covering at least the last five races of the Stars of Tomorrow card. You can find that elsewhere in your feed. But here we're going to focus a little bit more maybe on some of the stakes action on uh, this the Friday card, but also critically taking a look at this Kentucky Derby future wager and maybe talking through some of the opportunities on there. We've got two guests. The first one we've heard the last few weeks in a row on these airwaves, and he's done a phenomenal job uh, talking us through races at Churchill, which makes sense because he works there. Kevin Kirstein, how are you, my friend? Hey, Pete, I'm doing great. How are you? Things are good. Recovering a little bit from, you know, a little bit of a turkey comb is still going on here, but it's like you need the hair of the dog. Once I get a sandwich, I think I'll be just fine. Our other guest today coming to us, I didn't ask him where he where he's located today, but I know I'll be seeing him in Tucson in uh, just a, a week's time or so. When we head out there, he's got a big presentation that I'm sure he's been working hard on. He's also one of the key people both doing writing on InTheMoneyPodcast.com, but also helping out behind the scenes here at In The Money Media. Eric DeCoster, what's up with you? Just enjoying a good little break here before we get serious for the symposium and then graduation and life after that. So uh, it's my last <laughs> little break, I guess, before the real world. We'll talk about that. Hopefully we'll have an opportunity to, to hang at one of the, the, the many receptions out there in Arizona. Very curious to hear what your plans are and hoping in some way, shape or form we can keep you in the fold. But let's start off just talking in some very broad strokes terms about this Friday card. Give a little bit of uh, love to the, the early birds who might be listening, whether it's talking about, um, you know, the, the, the Clark or the, the other or the Mrs. Revere or really any kind of interest or horses you might want to nominate that people should be looking at on this Friday night card at, it's not Friday night. I, I lied. It's a Friday afternoon card at Churchill. Kevin, I'll start with you. Any, any particular uh, betting interests or storyline interests you want to put forward? You know, the main, you know, this is such a fun card today overall, Pete. And I just want to hammer home that, you know, this is one of the top handle cards outside of Derby week here for us at Churchill. And it sort of follows that Black Friday tradition of, yep. you know, maybe it's, you know, the gamblers are shopping here at the track. So, <laughs> you know, those those pick five pools, uh, you got three of them today, the pick fours, all those pools are going to feature, you know, some robust interest in there. Um, the Mrs. Revere is on the turf. And, uh, you know, keep in mind that this will be run in the lane one. Yesterday's Cardinal on the turf was run in lane four, which was 36 feet out from the inside. So, uh, going to have a, a fresher part of the turf course that this race will be run on as race number 10. You know, the Clark itself, you know, especially this year, um, it, it's wide open in my opinion. And even though first mission is going to take some action in here, I'm very interested in the New York shipper film star for Linda Rice, who, uh, you know, I, I thought was just very intriguing uh, going back around two turns in this race after running uh, a mile last time out at, at Aqueduct in the 49er. Um, so a little bit of value in that race and against, uh, you know, this wide open field for me and the Clark, but, you know, overall the big fields, the, the big, uh, big handle and, you know, back on the turf course for the Mr. Revere, it's going to be a very fun card this afternoon, uh, especially with the wide open Clark. You never exactly know what's going to happen when turf rails go down, but 
my general thinking with it is it's going to very likely favor horses drawn down to the inside. That's going to make me take a little bit of an extra look at a runner like Nisi Marie, who maybe is able to uh, save ground and come running late. Uh, probably needs a little bit of a setup. I mean, has gotten some pretty good setups and made some bold runs. But if if the inside is where you want to be, I, I could see her getting the right kind of uh, run until the, the real running starts late. And uh, and they presumably will have to to tip out from there. Did you have a either of you guys have a, have a thought on who might win the Mrs. Revere? I, I personally like Nisi Marie quite a bit too. Um, for for the reason you stated, being drawn down inside, I think she's going to get a really favorable setup. But I just think she's she's been hanging with a really nice filly uh, from overseas while running in New York in Eternal Hope. Uh, you know those last two numbers are so competitive good horse that she's been just behind beating good horses in the process so uh while a lot of these fillies kind of my mindset was a lot of these fillies have been beating up on one another why not go with the out-of-towner who has has no experience really against these types you know i i I get your thoughts guys on the the inside part of wanting to be on fresher ground the one thing that i noticed though yesterday in the cardinal is the winner of that uh, race starship fortress was way out in the center of the track even with the rail out and that appeared to be the better ground out there. So I don't think it's going to be, you know, as much of, you know, trying to be on the inside part of this track, whereas I think the outer part uh, may actually be the, the better part of where this turf course is playing. So I, I get the mindset of, as a horse player, but I don't think it's going to be as favoring as, you know, it may be in some other races. We will have at least one turf race right before, so we can maybe get a little bit of a line on that. But of course, you know, limited. Uh, the, talk about small sample size; it, it, it may may not be enough to to make any sort of a any sort any sort of assertion. What if I held you for your feet to the fire, Kevin, for a pick in the Mrs. Revere? Well, first, you know, I'll mention the, the sixth race is off the turf, so we're not going to have okay. a race before then. Um, gotcha. So the sixth race is off the turf. The the stake will be run on the turf. You know, if I had to pick one um, in this race, I'm very interested in watch this birdie for uh, Vince Shamino and, and Ignacio Correas. Uh, that allowance run last time out here on the turf course, I like that um, that victory. And, you know, it, it's, again, it's going to be an interesting pace setup, uh, you know, because they went a lot faster, I thought, in that race than they can go in this one this afternoon. So if this horse has some pace to run at, I think she's very dangerous in this race, you know, having a win over this local turf course uh, and, and sort of maybe the light bulb click last time out. She's always, you know, been in the best form, um, I thought, recently in the, her three-year-old year. So, you know, maybe she's sort of clicked and, and uh, you know, things will you know, come together for back-to-back races. She's eight to one on the line. Uh, I think it's a, an interesting idea for sure. Let's move back to the Clark. You've tipped your hand on this one, uh, Kevin, already. Uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, Linda Rice. And this is also interesting to know, you know, not a name you associate with running very often under the Twin Spires. I wonder if this is just because of how Filmstar fits with this group or if that's becoming something she might try to be doing more of as she sort of, reasserts her uh, her prominence in the game with the giant uh, meets in New York she had this year. It's certainly an interesting storyline to follow. Eric, I do want to bring you in, though, to get your idea of the winner of this one. Yeah, I, I'm i really intrigued by another horse coming in from New York, but that's the New York-bred straight arrow. Uh, when he won the Empire Classic last time out, I, I looked at him as a horse that could easily tackle open company in the future. I didn't think it'd be this close. I was thinking more next year, maybe tackle some of those lighter graded stakes up at Aqueduct towards the beginning of the spring. 
so I was surprised to see him here, but the more I looked at it, the more I feel like he's ready for this and, and most, more specifically this group. Uh, well, it's, it's not a knock against anyone here. It's, there's a bunch of nice horses. No one's really gone out of their way to prove himself. Uh, and that, that's great for a horse who has to prove himself against open company and straight arrow. But his last two wins, buyers aside, I mean, they've been strong. He's a horse with the highest career buyer with a 101 two back uh, in an allowance win at Aqueduct against New York Reds. Uh, but those aside, visually, he looks incredible. And it's clear that the more distance, the better. And his pedigree kind of feeds into that, too. It's weird to be talking about pedigree with a, a four-year-old gelding, but he's just so lightly seasoned that there's there's a lot of different angles you got to attack him with uh, to figure out who he is. But I think he can sit a really nice trip. I like that they pick up Florent Giroux, a local rider, to who knows how to handle this course. And just, just the biggest thing being, with, with so many unknowns he's going up against, it, it's it's worthwhile to take a shot because uh, he's just been so impressive in those last two wins. I think you make a good point. I mean, the inside has looked just fine on the dirt. The racing that that I've seen, Kevin, you can you can weigh in on that, if especially if I'm wrong. But I think Eric, you make a good point about the composition of the field. It's not a bad field. It's a really interesting field. But it's a field of horses that are stepping up to get into a grade two, as opposed to horses that are proven at the grade one or grade two level coming back and trying to 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 you know get the gold here. So I, I, I think, uh, I think a runner like straight arrow, while you know, traditionally maybe doesn't have a, the kind of credentials or resume that wins the Clark is, is, a, is a very reasonable idea here, especially at a, at a good price. What do you make of straight arrows chances, Kevin? You know, the one thing that I'm going to pay attention from him is how he's acting. So Mike Dini has said, you know, this horse has been very difficult uh, training and, and getting to the races. And that's why he didn't make his debut until his four-year-old year. He ended up gelding him. And, um, you know, he's talked about how right now he seems mentally that he's doing a lot better than he uh, has been, you know, back when he first uh, got him in his barn. And so I'm going to just sort of keep an eye on him to see how he's, you know, taking to his new surroundings here at Churchill Downs. He, you know, went from uh, his base up on the East Coast and then shipped down to Tampa where he had a local work down there. Mike is, of course, the, the president of the HBPA down at Tampa. So, you know, that's where his winter home is. And now he's taking a van up to Churchill Downs. So it could just be a lot of new things for this horse. And I'm just going to see how he plays it mentally um, in the paddock and leading up into the post parade for this race. Excellent note, and one that might uh, help us either back off a little bit or uh, or get more serious about bets when it comes to the Clark. I'm ready, personally, gentlemen, to move on to uh, look at the, the future wager here, but I don't want to take the opportunity away from you if you have something you're dying to talk about elsewhere on this Friday card. Kevin, w- w- you ready to proceed, or you got something else for us? Man, I'm... I'm- I'm always ready to talk Derby, Pete. <laughs> Very wise. Uh, Eric, how about you? You ready to get to this future wager? I am. I'm, I'm going to give you one very, very quickly, just, just for the people. Uh, race eight, number one, Coffee Crisp. Needed that first race at Horseshoe Windy. You'll look at it, slow fig, kind of beating herself, but it was very educational. I've been waiting since August 29th to play this filly back. Comes in a tough spot, but... I've just been too excited for this filly to make her next start to not uh, give her a shot when given the opportunity. So coffee crisp 81. That's, that's the play. Eric, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. That horse scratched out. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Wonderful. It's too early. It's too early on the, here on the West coast for me to have even gotten to that. So beautiful. (laughs) Have we have, was, was she re-entered Kevin or because you know, there's so much two year old racing this weekend. Uh, as I'm pulling up right now, just to see the, the re-entries. So, uh, 
talking live right now as I, I pull up <laughs> her page. The good old uh, stallifying that we do so often on these on these airwaves. Right. Oh. Coffee Crisp was not re-entered. Okay. Hmm. Hopefully nothing hopefully nothing gone too wrong there. Definitely one to stick in the tracker though. As you know, yes. that's an angle I love. Bet hard first out, don't break well, and then run okay. It's usually a proxy for the information that she's got more speed than she showed that day. And obviously uh takes to the job with the, with the way she ran through after that tardy beginning. So I, I, I like I like that idea a lot. Coffee Crisp, one to take a look at for the future. Let's talk Derby future wager. I, I always find, you know, this time of year, um, look, you might find a great betting opportunity here. But even if you don't, I think it's just a very good way to get a line on not only these horses, but on how the public sees these horses when it comes to how they're going to be bet. Eric did a write-up of every runner in this field. If you want to check that out, I'll pop it in the show notes. You can go over to inthemoneypodcast.com and check it out. We'll bring him back in a minute. But Kevin, wanted to ask you about this future wager. Is there an entry or two that uh, has prominence for you that you're the most interested in? Might uh, put a few dollars down to bat here this week. You know, the key with being so far out from, you know, Kentucky Derby 150, you have to demand a price. And so, uh, you know, there's so many things, as we know, in horse racing that can go awry and, and horses not make the Derby. Um, you know, a perfect example of, of looking at a, a horse, you know, in the first future wager pool, Nash was 68 to one. I think he's around 13 to one right now. So you have to demand that value if you're going to get that, especially um, in a two-year-old. I think the, the thing I'm most intrigued about in this pool, which runs coincide with the Kentucky Derby Sire future wager, is really on Sunday before these pools closes, close at 6 o'clock Eastern was pool two and then 6.30 Eastern for uh, for the Sire future wager, is just doing some comparison on the offspring of you know who's in that first future wager versus who's uh, you know maybe not taking as much action in that sire wager with their sires. A perfect example is that horse Nash, who I'm a big fan of. You know, as of right now, leading into Derby 150, he's by Medagliadoro. He was 13 to one after the first day of wagering yesterday, and Medagliadoro offsprings in the sire future wager is 50 to one. So that's a, right. a big discrepancy uh, to be able to take, and you know, just sort of you know keep that in mind. You know, a horse like Fierceness, for example, he's seven to one. Um, in this first pool and uh, horses by city of light are 11 to one. So, uh, you know, it's obviously going to change. That'll probably the market will even itself out. But if there's that big of a discrepancy at this stage on Medagliadoro offspring, I'm going to be sure to take that horse uh, in, in the sire future wager. I love that. I love that note. And um, the rigs can persist, right? This is not a bet that comp- I don't think it's a bet where computers are going in at the last second and, and correcting things. And you, what you might get is just somebody maybe connected with a certain horse, maybe just a fan of a certain sire or horse overbetting the pot, essentially creating what the Brits would call a Rick, uh, a discrepancy between the two pools. So that idea of setting a little bit of an alarm for six o'clock guarding guard, actually, no, don't do that. Set, set an, set an alarm at five 30 and guard that hour between 5.30 and 6, looking for weird stuff in these pools. Just playing it for arbitrage might almost do you better than, than handicapping at this stage of the game. I, I love that idea. Let's talk about some specific horses that might be interesting. And then we will we'll, we'll talk sires as well, because why not? Eric, uh, you know, don't give away the store. We want people to go read the article. But if you were to nominate uh, a horse or two that might be interesting to wager on this weekend, what, what direction would you be leaning at this point? 
Well, one thing I didn't dive into entirely in the in, in the the post that I I didn't just just because of time's sake I already too much to read with with forty horses or, or forty entries at least uh, thirty eight individuals. Um, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile is always going to whatever you believe the quality of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile is is going to give you an indication of how good the crop is right now. And that's not saying much, of course, but if you just go back through history. I thought that the 2021 or the 2020 juvenile into the 2021 Derby was an exceptionally strong race. And that turned out to be the case because the top six finishers in that year's Kentucky Derby, at least across the wire, were all well-established horses. And you had horses like Essential Quality and Hot Rod Charlie who had run in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and horses uh, like Midnight Bourbon who were graded stage place. And I believe he was fifth or sixth that year. So uh, keep me in mind, won the Kentucky Jockey Club, right? If you think the juvenile is a strong race, that means everything around it's also going to be decent. This year, I did think it was a strong race, but not from the winner's perspective. Um, and if you read the post, you'll you'll find out why. But I thought that the second, third, fourth, fifth place finishers, all horses that are going to progress on beautifully, which is why I love a horse like Locke, who I also loved in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Um, I just think he is such a nice horse, but he's a very unrefined prospect. And he's been doing everything he's done to this point on raw talent without being anywhere close uh, to his peak. Um, and I think he kind of showed that in the juvenile, right? You go back and watch that. He climbed early. He idled for a good portion of that race, but he absolutely motored in the final furlong or so. Uh, and that to me just, just excites me. And the loss obviously helps me because he'd probably be a heavy favorite, uh, individual favorite, at least in this pool right now. And instead he's trending probably second, third, fourth choice at a really nice price. So, um, that, that's definitely my top horse and just an overall statement that I think there's some really nice two-year-olds that will progress into nice three-year-olds next year. It's been an impressive group in terms of accomplishments and also figures. We did a show for the the, the, the Saturday card that I mentioned before and just going through and, and seeing multiple two-year-olds that have, have run by our speed figures in the 90s at this stage. That's that's pretty impressive, and those aren't the ones even that that Eric's talking about from from the Breeders' Cup. That's beyond the ones anyway that we're talking about from the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. What's your view, Kevin, on this crop overall? And feel free to drill down into a, a specific runner who might be of interest. You know, I, I think the key there is you know figures is, and there's been a lot of fast performances from especially the two year old Colts uh, at this stage, and so um, overall it's a very competitive group and. Um, you know, if you look at it, I totally agree with the horse like Locke, like Eric said, I think this horse has a lot of promise wagering wise in this pool. It's probably going to be a little bit tough for me taking, you know, he's 15 to one right now after the first day of wagering. And so, you know, it's sort of a little tough, uh, to take a horse like that is just, you know, I don't want to sit on 15 to one for the next 160 days or so i want you know the 50 60 to range uh but i agree he's a horse that's going to move forward you know and and look at some of the runners in this pool that are going to be in saturday's stars of tomorrow card at churchill downs one of them that i think is you know very dynamic is booth by steve from steve asmussen's barn you know he uh is still only running around one turn going six and a half furlongs he's 47 to one in this future wager pool but you look at some of that breeding and you you dig down deep and i don't see there's a reason why this horse couldn't stretch out around two turns steve asmussen has said that he's just keeping this horse around one turn for now i wouldn't be surprised if he jumps on the road to the kentucky derby come oaklawn this winter where he will likely be uh you know going back and forth between there and fairgrounds and so the value is there 
He's a, a son of Matoli who we've seen, you know, have lots of fast figures from some of his runners going around that one turn distance. So we're still waiting to see if he's really going to be a, a two turn sire. But this horse on the bottom side of his pedigree, I think, uh, by a Bellamy Roadmare is going to be okay going around that two-turn distance. So, you know, see how he runs in the Ed Brown stakes on Saturday at Churchill Downs, going six and a half furlongs. You know, he he doesn't have to win this race, and that will maybe even make his price go up even higher. Uh, but if he does, I'm going to probably see some deflation in those odds as of right now. Uh, but I do think that he can stretch out around two turns for the, the Kentucky Derby distance. I get it. And that was Booth was the name. I, I was failing to pull the name when I was talking about horses who've run in the 90s speed figure wise. Booth is uh, Booth is one of them, though. And Matoli, you make an interesting point about Matoli. Matoli's already surprised people. This is if you listen to Baby Talk, I'm repeating something that a point that uh, Ben Gowans from from Gainesway made over there. But, you know, Matoli was the sire who came into the year. And people were thinking, oh, speed, speed. He's going to be winning those races at Keeneland. And actually started off slow in the early in the early year, early part of the summer even. And it's been as the Batolis have gotten a little bit more mature and the distances have gotten a little bit longer. Now, we're still talking sprint distances, obviously, but it's still a data point. That's when he started his rise to where he's now his uh, at the top of his class, essentially, as a sire. So that suggests to me... Kevin, that exactly what you're saying could be true. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to want a mile and a quarter, but, you know, we've talked to actually on other KTDF sponsored shows before. I've talked to horsemen like Brad Cox who say, look, if the blood can get him the mile, mile and a 16th, mile and an eighth, we believe, you know, he believes he can train him to get the mile and a quarter. So I think that's a very interesting idea, especially at that price. I would expect that to come down somewhat, obviously, with a big performance tomorrow, but certainly a horse to, to keep an eye on. Eric, I don't know if you have the current odds in front of you, but I think you have a pretty good idea in terms of what these prices are going to end up being, at least with the information we have now. Do you have one at, at, at giant odds, say 40 to 1 plus, that you could see uh, getting involved in as well in this future pool? I do, yeah. The horses that were high on the morning line that have, have dropped down significantly were horses that I expected to. Um, I think they're really nice horses, but kind of going back to Kevin's point, I'm not sure I want to be locked in on a horse like Sierra Leone, uh, a nice maiden winner uh, for Chad Brown, a son of Gunrunner. Uh, he's 20 to 1 right now, down from 80 to 1. Or Parchment Party, who's 2 for 2 for Bill Mott right now. He started 99 to 1. He's 23 to 1. Um, Knightsbridge is another one. Big, big maiden win. I think he had a big figure, 17 to 1. That's just that, that makes me uncomfortable with that unproven of a horse. So a horse that kind of fits your bill is domestic product. That's another Chad Brown horse, and he's 86 to one. He's actually floated up from an 80 to one line. And, you know, th- there might not be big numbers behind him. He doesn't really have a great pedigree on him even, but he is the only horse in this pool to have a win over a mile and an eighth. And right. he did it in a maiden win at Aqueduct and he or Belmont at the big A at that time, if we're, we're still calling it that. And it wasn't like it was one of those mile and an eighth wins where, oh, it's a bunch of two-year-olds who don't know what they're doing going this far, at least for him. He powered home. He looked like he could run all day, which was kind of shocking to me um, in, in real time. But looking back through it, there is some stamina more so on the damn side. And he just looked like a horse who could really fit the bill. And I think winning at those distances at this age is such an asset because you have the experience that others might not have come springtime when they're really trying to figure themselves out, maybe stretching out to two turns for the first time. 
uh, and obviously going those distances for the first time. So we know Chad Brown can get horses to the Derby. I mean, his horses run well just about every time they show up. They just haven't found the winner's circle yet. But I think at that price, given he's the only horse with distance experience, at least now, uh, you know, that's intriguing to me. So he's a horse I might be taking a flyer on just just because of that price. General question for you, Kevin, and I think the answer is no. And then I think it, it could lead us to a little bit of a of a business idea to help uh, grow the the handle for these these future pools that that close, you know, right after these races happen. Is there any way or any source to get speed figure information in anything close to real time? after you know the big two-year-old races are are run on a on a card like saturday or is it really up to the individual to try to figure that out at this point you know usually you get uh we have, we offer free brisnet past performances on kentuckyderby.com slash future wager and, and that link will get updated after saturday so you know once those figures come back after those races you'll be able to see them on sunday um how they come but not in time to use that information before the pool closes uh, the, it's usually, you know, less than 12 hours after the, the race runs when you get those updated Brisnet figures. Okay. So, so it will, you will have that. Okay. That's great. Oh, that's, yeah. KentuckyDerby.com slash future wager. will have that all the past performances for pool two. Plus, uh, there's a great package for the sire future wager too, that has every single offspring, uh, for the sires in, in that same package. So, uh, awesome. on that same link. I'll include that in the show notes as well. And if we remember, we should send that out on social during that critical uh, time when the races have run and, uh, and and we have that ability to uh, to potentially to potentially act on that. That's very, very cool. I love I didn't even realize that. And that's going to be something that's extremely useful to players. I want to spend the next few minutes talking a little bit more about the sire wager and what we think the the, the, the right play there might be obviously the all others bet is such a common you know that's your your favorite so much of the time when you're dealing especially at this stage on the horse side i don't know though and when i was looking at the sires that were put together for that list i i I was thinking the winner was certainly going to come from there um i just i'm not sure which but it uh it didn't seem like the all others was nearly as appealing on the the sire side am i missing a trick there kevin or do you see it the same way not really. I, I sort of see it the same way. I guess you can, you know, if you go back to Rich Strike when, uh, you know, he was by Keen Ice when he won the Derby, the all others paid out. Um, I think it was like five to two or something like that. Something, you know, way too small. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's that's where I think the value is. And so, you know, you see the all others in, in the pool, too, that takes so much action year in and year out. And I think maybe there's just some gamblers that, you know, take the flyer. Uh, but, you know, I think we we pretty much covered most of the sires that are, you know, have some of the top two-year-olds out there. I don't know if there's really, you know, many that were missing that aren't included in this. Maybe there would have been some value, um, you know, when we only included 19 or 23 sires and, and the 24th for the all others. But now with this expanded pool with 39 individual sires, I think the, the Derby winner, I can say, is confidently going to be one of those 39. I feel, I feel similarly. What do you think the – all others will close for in the in, will close at in the individual horse bet this year. I mean, certainly odds on with obviously the Baffert runners, uh, the current Baffert trained runners be, being part of it. But I mean, is it a? Do we think it's a one to two shot? Is it a three to five shot? How does history give us much of a guide on that, Kevin? Yeah, it's going to be between three to five and four to five. Uh, I'm going to, you know, it's you see it two to one right now. Uh, that'll take some action. Um, come Sunday at, at close. So, you know, history is going to say between three to five and four to five. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. And it, for me, it's like for especially for, you know, having to be out of pocket the money for that long, not not overly appealing. I think I'd rather have some fun approaching it the way that uh, that you guys are suggesting. Eric, what are you eyeing in terms of a potential bet for the sire side of this future wager? So it, it might not. It, it feels crazy to me um, because this is obviously just a perennial stallion. But I, you obviously you have to understand why, because he, he has cooled off and in the slightest, slightest way over the past years, but tap it is currently 42 to one um, in this very early juncture of wagering. And I feel like he could close at a very similar price because he isn't the hot young stallion, yeah. um, you know, like a gun runner, like a, like a justify um, good magic even is taking more money than him right now. And he of course sired this year's Kentucky Derby winner. But the thing about Tappets is you're not going to see him plastered all over the, the individual uh, horse pool because they, they need time. But every year, it seems, he has a nice little three-year-old that comes around and and potentially could make the Derby. And we know this year, a, a horse who didn't make his start until his three-year-old campaign won the Derby. It's, just, it's kind of becoming uh, easier and easier to do nowadays uh, compared to, say, a decade ago when it still felt impossible. So I, I'm really intrigued by him just purely price-based because I do have a feeling someone could come along. Tappet or Sons of Tappet, um, Constitution, 32-1. to 1. Um, at this very early point in wagering. Uh, he has actually a lot of nice uh, two-year-olds right now, um, a few of which are listed in the individual wager. Parchment Party is probably the, the best one, in my opinion, um, and he's lower than than what Constitution's at. So that goes back to Kevin's point again, where, okay, you might have the individual horse who's the lower price, but in, you still get paid if his sire wins two in the, the pool, and he's going to be a nicer one. So uh, that's another one. Tappet and Sons are the ones that, I'm I'm going to be keying in on because I just know they're going to develop well. Yeah, I love that idea, Kevin. You have a sp- I love your general approach that you already gave us. I think that's something that you know everybody listening should do. But uh, a particular sire that you're interested in at this stage, you, you know the the one approach too that you're seeing right now that we're talking about, just because it's you know only through one day of wagering is you're seeing the, some inflated price compared to the individuals um you know history would say that's probably going to you know even itself out a little bit uh and and even if it you know there's you know lower odds on some of these you know runners like gun runner for instance you know if he takes some action you're still getting every two-year-old that's sired by gun runner so you know even if you have to say that you know he's seven to one and, and your favorite gun runner is in the individual pool is, you know, 30 to one. Don't let that turn you off because there's going to be lots of later developing uh, sons of gun runner that could come around uh, to next year. You know, I, I mentioned with Medagliadoro and, uh, and Nash, that's one I'm going to keep an eye on. Um, you know, Matoli, as we mentioned, is, is 48 to one. Um, you know, that's sort of equal to um, well, to Booth. So maybe, you know, watching watching him as they he progresses, it's, it's still a little bit difficult to me to see him as you know a classic distance sire but it's not to say that you know, as you said as, as brad cox said you you can't do it as if a horse can go a mile a 16th mile and an eighth um and, and the one other thing i wanted to mention too is you know the exacta pools in both of these pool two and the sire future wager you know sort of maybe make a spreadsheet of you know who the horses that you like who the sires are and see if there's value you can look at the will pays uh, and the probables and those exacta pays and, you know, you can see some inflated prices in there, too. Um, and, and so you mentioned that the horses, you know, trained by Bob Baffert, since he is still under suspension from competing in the Kentucky Derby, they're in the all others. Well, maybe there's some value there to include all others at three to five, four to five, 
in an exact in an exact a box with some of the ones that you like too. So um, keep an eye on that come close Sunday at six and six thirty. But you know, going back to the point, the two sires I'm interested in, you know, at some prices are Medagliadoro and Matoli. Fantastic. That's great stuff. Really appreciate uh, all of your guys' insights. I'm so pumped. Uh, and it's kind of fun because this is it's extra work. Well, we're suggesting when we start talking about spreadsheets and examining this stuff. But look, this is this is how you get an edge. And if you find the right discrepancy, I, I think this is a place where you can really do that. And it's kind of fun and it's going to get you more familiar and, and pumped up, you know, as far out as we are. All, but get you start getting pumped up for the Kentucky Derby, Un- undoubtedly one of uh, the great racing days anywhere in the world. We'll be covering it backwards and forwards over at uh, in the money podcast.com. I'm already regretting that we didn't do this as a video. This would have been great YouTube content that um, <laughs> I didn't even think about it until it was way too late. Too much turkey, like I said. The whiskey had nothing to do with it. I'm blaming the turkey. But we'll, we'll reconvene this panel at some point and, uh, and keep these conversations going. And maybe we'll do a video after it closes is what we'll do and, and examine some of the prices and, and where we are at that point. Uh, Kevin, anything else that folks need to know from a Churchill Downs or a KTDF point of view uh, as before we close the show today? You know, look, we have three days of racing remaining here in the, the calendar year. Churchill Downs, fantastic cards, fantastic betting opportunities with both the future wager and here uh, at the track. You know, lots of opportunities. Maybe hit the deposit button once or twice if you need to this weekend because, uh, you know, racing won't return here beneath the Twin Spires until late April for Kentucky Derby Week. But have no fear, Pete. The KTDF and, and Kentucky Racing rolls on this winter at Turfway Park. And uh, opening day, Wednesday, November 29th, every single one of the nine races drew a full field of 12 horses in there. So lots of full fields in action at Turfway Park this winter if you're looking to get your Kentucky fix. I've got a line on a on a I don't want to out him at this stage because he hasn't given me permission to, but I have a line on a guy who quite literally makes his living betting turfway, who I may be able to twist his arm into coming on a podcast appearance at some point. And it's something that, you know, one of the things I'd like to do, you know, given that we have uh, Churchill Downs Incorporated and uh, the KTDF as, as clients and Woodbine as such important clients, trying to demystify synthetic and, and Gulfstream, demystifying synthetic racing to, to, to the degree that we can is something that I, that I want to do. And we've seen these Turfway horses from the winter uh, shipping and, and winning all over the country. So it's something that is racing that is definitely worth paying attention to more than I would say the average horse player does. Eric, how about you? Any closing thoughts before we send the show home? Well, you all just said a lot of words I like because I love Turfway. Uh, playing synthetic, so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm excited for this weekend, too. Great field. Uh, Start tomorrow. It's easily my favorite card of the year that isn't Derby or Breeders' Cup related. Uh, so excited for that. But when Turfway comes around, that's when uh, hopefully I'll, I'll probably be hitting the deposit button, to be honest, more than I'm. In the that's other awesome. But that's okay. We're going to be having some fun. So I'm glad we got to chat a little bit about one of my favorite tracks. We'll be covering it on InTheMoneyPodcast.com, but feel free to put up something specific about Stars of Tomorrow. Again, we covered it on the Baby Talk show. But uh, if you got any specific ideas or just send them out on social, we'll amplify or include them in our free newsletter that you do such a good job curating in the moneypodcast.com slash email, the place to go to sign up for that and keep up with everything we've got 
going on here at the In The Money Media Network. That's all the time we have, folks. Kevin and Eric, wonderful jobs today. Really appreciate both of your insights. For Kevin and Eric, I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.